Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. <laughs> there it is. Uh, I am Brian M. Hauser. Welcome to the 194th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Um, I'm at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and I am accompanied tonight by some of my favorite people and some that have been gone for a little while. So I feel like we've got to start out with uh, someone who's been missing, Dana O'Gorman. At Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, where have you been? <laughs> well, as many of you know, I, I did a nice little week-long trip to Hawaii. It was wonderful and warm and perfect and as Hawaiian as you can get. So, yeah, it was great. It was nice to take a little break after the holiday. Um, my husband and I were celebrating our anniversary, and so we went um, to Maui. We had a great time. Yeah, it was really nice. Awesome. I was gone for a while, so sorry to everyone. <laughs> well, we were we were happy to have you back. Did you have a chance to watch any Seahawks football while you were gone? Um, believe it or not, the Arizona game. So on the way to Hawaii, we went on Sunday and Sunday, and so I was I could get the Arizona game on the live TV on the plane, right? And so I thought for sure on the way back during the Arizona Seahawks game, I'll get it. No, it was the damn Rams and the 49ers. I was so weird. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't I think anybody wanted to watch. That's what I was worried about for you is yeah. when you have a team not playing well, you know, they're not going to be visible outside. I mean, 
growing up as a Seahawks fan in Portland, this was a big deal for me because depending on how the Seahawks season would be, they might choose the 49ers game or an Oakland game over a Seahawks game because Portland wasn't assumed to be a Seattle, uh, you know, market. So yeah, it, it, it does start to shrink the viewable audience. Um, but sorry, you missed it. Um, you missed it for I a good thing. It was good. It was good. I went back and watched them. It was so much less stressful after I knew the score. So it wasn't so bad. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, we are certainly glad to have you back and judging by the reaction on Twitter and in the chat, uh, happy. Everyone else is happy to have you back as well. Um, Before I bring in the other two fellows who have been around, um, I do want to mention for folks that are uh, watching live and, and in the chat, we are trying something new tonight uh, that, you have to be a subscriber to the YouTube channel in order to be participating in chat. So as we've all seen over time, there are weird spam bots that get in there and there are, you know, troll fans from other teams that come in there. We're gonna at least make it a little bit reciprocal. If they're gonna get in there, they're gonna give us a subscription. Um, It doesn't cost you anything obviously, but if you haven't already and you wanna be part of the chat, all you gotta do is click subscribe, takes one second. Click the bell to get notified when we go live. If you want to go beyond that, patreon.com slash hawkblogger is a great place to go and get immediate access to our Slack channel. And we are building up a, a really great donation to make this year. So uh, now's the time. We have a huge off season. And who knows what's going to happen in the next few days? Uh, who knows what's going to happen in the next few hours? We'll find out. Um, so... Let me bring in Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. How are you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? Good. I I, I have to out you on something, and and Uh-oh. you know you, you can decide if this is a serious enough offense that you just want to leave right away. But okay. um, I just found out that you have a fish thing, man. Like oh yeah, like that's 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 news. Like I I'm gonna have to use that against you at some point. You understand that. I don't know how, what scenario we are going to find each other around live fish, uh, but yeah, sh- go for it. <laughs> uh, I don't know what scenario you will find me around live fish because I don't, I don't, I don't like fish. I don't like swimming with fish. I don't like eating fish. No fish. Yeah, I- I'm with you on the eating part, um, but that's that's cool. I like I like that. That's something a little different. I like little different things about people that that are not usual. So uh, I have a very healthy respect for the ocean. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I get it. Well, as we were talking, Dana and I were talking about snorkeling in, in Hawaii and Maui. I can see why that's maybe not as exciting to you as as a, much of a draw as it is to so many other people. Um, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Great to have you as well. And you look like you're wearing a jersey, dude. Like you've, I am. you are here for the season recap episode. You want to represent. Who are you wearing? Well, this jersey is like 15 years old. Uh, I was going through my parents' house today and I had to get some things. And I found all my old Seahawks stuff from like high school years, university years. I found this Matt Hasselbeck jersey. Nice. I found a Lofa Tatupu jersey and that like weird green that we had going on for a while. I found a Joey Galloway jersey. Mm. I found like some weird, I found a, a depressing 2005 NFC championship hat. I regret buying that. 
But yeah, so I'm rocking my Hasselbeck jersey today. Those were the the good old days before Seahawks Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I love that, dude. Well, it's good to have you. And uh, for folks that didn't know, I think most folks do by now, but we are going to do a two-show week this week. Uh, Tonight is really going to be focusing on uh, recapping the season and looking at some of uh, the free agents that the Seahawks have and what to do with them. Uh, as well as just general conversation about what's going on with the team, because there's always stuff to talk about there. And then uh, tomorrow night, hopefully, if Evan is feeling up to it, it'll be at least myself and Stacy Rost uh, from 710 ESPN, uh, the Jake and Stacy show. Uh, it probably should be the Stacy and Jake show. Um, I might ask her about that tomorrow, but uh, that will be tomorrow night. Jake's been on the show as well, friend of the show. Um, and hopefully Evan will join us as well for that. So lots of real Hawk talk this week. You'd think with the end of the season, you'd get less of us, but lo and behold, you're getting more. So, okay. Um, before we dive into kind of going through, we're going to go through a little bit. We did our season predictions. We're going to use that as a way to talk about recapping the season. Uh, and there's some folks that did better than others. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Um, any additional thoughts on this game that we saw this weekend? Um, I'll admit something. And Jeff, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, this was the first Seahawks game I've watched twice in a long time. It le- definitely the first this season. And I honestly can't remember the last one that I watched twice. So I really, I was so thoroughly entertained by this game. I really enjoyed what I saw and I wanted to see some of it again. Um, what were your thoughts? I mean, anything more that you've, you've considered in the, in the last couple of days um, since that game ended? I still come back to a couple of points that we talked about on Sunday. One, I can't help but wonder what if. I can't help but wonder what if Russell had been healthier? What if the offensive line came together sooner? What if they had found this running game? But really, I, I'm kind of conflicted with the whole thing, just trying to conceptualize what was – the last two games, what does the roster outlook like going forward? But one of the things I've just, I've tried to listen to as much stuff is going on is I've listened to as many like radio interviews and hear people talk. And I heard Mark Schlereth, who's kind of a mixed bag when you hear him call games, but it's kind of interesting on the radio. And he was talking about how he talked to a lot of the Seahawks coaches before the game. And they were just talking about how the Waldron offense completely came together once they had that Rashad Penny outburst and what it could do to defenses. And you saw, apparently Mike Solari was just raving about Waldron's offense and what it could do with the run game and how many formations they can do, how many play action they can do. And when they have a healthy quarterback, a run game. So we were chatting today in our thread, like, I don't know if we'll get into this later about Shane Waldron and his future, but assuming that if they do bring these guys back, I think the conversation internally is definitely a little different than a lot of people are discussing outside when it comes to him. But yeah, I just can't help but wonder what this team would have looked like had things clicked a lot earlier. Because you can yeah. see like Carlos Dunlap's a great example where they were having them like drop in coverage and playing like seven snaps a game. The guy had like eight sacks in his last four games or five games. Like just seeing everything click was pretty interesting. But I'm just, again, I don't want to get too high and too low off a two game sample. But again, I, I, I can't help but wonder. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's those are great thoughts. Dana, 
you know, you said you got a chance to watch it. And, and I got to say, part of what stuck out to me is I think a lot of what we've talked about, like, this is what the Seahawks could look like if their offensive line plays above what they had been playing, right? Both run blocking and pass blocking. If the run game is actually a factor that forces defenses to deal with it, gives Russell some easier throws off of that and explosive plays both in the run and the pass and what you can do when you add a pass rush to what's been a good corner group. Um, felt like the blueprint, right? So I'm curious what you thought when you watched that game. I think my initial reaction when I was watching that game was this is who we thought this team was going to be at the beginning of the season, right? Like the beginning, like the end of training camp when we were all sitting around talking about this and how we had all these great expectations. That's what I saw on the field on that final game. And I think it, this season, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, is a combination of a million things that went wrong in one season. but. I think what struck me most, and actually Russell Wilson talked about this also, was that fact that they didn't care that it didn't matter. That entire team didn't care that that it wasn't going to, they were, they were still clearing out their lockers the next day. They weren't, nothing was changing. They were all still out of there, but they wanted to make a statement. And to me, that means a lot going into next season. Now, of course, the offseason coming, we all know that that can be a complete disaster. But I really feel like that stamp, that mark, even though those two games didn't matter, it mattered to them. And that's the thing that I really came away with. The other thing is it made me really think about this run game. Has there been a decent run game out of Seattle? And I know Nathan is probably vomiting. Sorry, Nathan, we're going to talk about the run for just a minute, sweetheart. Sorry. <laughs> but you, Seattle hasn't really had a run game in years, right? An effective one. It's been a minute because every time they get something going with Chris Carson or whoever, they're hurt, they're broken. We lose three in a game, you know what I mean? And so I do think that that had a lot to do with it. Um, but what I came across mostly is that people were being used probably, and we have to remember how many people were out of that Arizona game, right? Like Bobby Wagner was not there. Jordan Brooks looked amazing in that game. I, and so anyway, that, that's what I came away with for the most part was just that this was the team I expected. I'm sad that it took them that long to get it together for the thousand reasons it did throughout the season. But it, it really, well, it didn't change my thought process, although I know my thoughts are different on the offseason than your guys' thoughts. Um, it didn't really change it. It just made me even more excited for next season. And that's hard for me to go to the playoffs. To be excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Nathan, I don't know if, if there are any thoughts you've had since then. Um, I mean, one of my questions is we saw Russell Wilson at like a enthusiasm level that we just haven't seen. And I wonder why, like in a game that just didn't matter, like why, why do you think he was so into it? Why do you think it mattered so much to him? Yeah, it's hard to say. <clears throat> um, I, I think it had to have felt pretty cathartic. I mean, as a fan, it felt very cathartic to have them just unload in back-to-back -back weeks like that. And so for Russ, maybe finally feeling really good after the injury, you know, he's he's been through a lot this year, 
uh, in terms of that, and then in terms of just not playing well, um, that that Bears game was pretty crushing. And so for them to be able to come back and play really well like that, and uh, uh, you know, do it against a division rival, um, uh, do it against kind of a rest clone on the other side of the ball, there, uh, that had to all feel really good. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean. That was just one of the things that just jumped out rewatching it was, uh, I mean, the energy and the the passion coming from everyone involved was, I don't know, it was refreshing. It was refreshing. And it, it, it added to, I think, what was, you know, a kind of a feel-good end to what has been a really uh, crappy season. So, um, yeah, so with that, let's let's talk a little bit about um, what we had thought this season was going to be. I think that's a good segue into where we thought things were going to go versus where they did. From a record standpoint, um, none of us were very close. I think <laughs> the lowest amount of wins predicted was 11. Uh, so, you know, I think both Nathan and Evan and josh predicted 11 wins um the rest of us picked to pick 12 wins uh the closest if you really want to get the closest the earliest exit was picked by evan he picked a wild card loss so i don't know that anyone deserves a lot of credit for those predictions um i'll I wish push back a little bit though the yeah. seahawks lost four games this year by three points or less yeah it was absolutely horrific quarterback play so there's the Saints game, the Steelers game with Geno. And there's the Washington game, and I'm missing one, the Bears game. That's four losses within three points with, like, extremely subpar. If you had average quarterbacking, I think they go 4-0 in those games, and that's 11 wins. I think that's essentially what this team was. I don't think we were off base. I don't know, man. I – that that's I don't interesting. Know, point differential. Um, I, I I get where you're coming from there. Listen, we're all the thinking out, but I don't think that's like a crazy take. I think this was sort of the same team in the last few years. I uh, so I'll add to what you're saying. I mean, they, the Seahawks end up finishing eighth in DVOA, um, which to me is crazy. Uh, but I think this offense was awful, like awful, awful for most of the season, like eye-gougingly awful and I even think I, I think one of the so I'll put my take out there and I want to hear from you guys on this I think one of the biggest myths that out was out there is that the Seahawks were playing well before Russell got hurt like I don't think so the Indianapolis game was the only game I thought they were playing well even the Tennessee game in the first half where they were ahead by a lot there's a lot of broken coverages. Like I just didn't see this. The CX were boomer bust. Like the, the offense was just not reliable. The Minnesota game, same kind of thing. So I don't think they played well until the last two games of the season. Like really? Like, I mean, I guess the, the Jacksonville game, you know, you call that one, but Nathan, I mean, what's, what's your story of the season in your head? Was this like, this was a playoff team that had an injured quarterback or was it more? Um, yeah, I do think this was a playoff team that had an injured quarterback. They were boom or bust at the start of the year, but I think 
you can't discount either half of that, right? For every first half of the Tennessee game, there was a second half of the Tennessee game. For every first half of the Niners game, there was a second half. <clears throat> and, you know, on even, or, uh, you know, when you break it all even, it was better than it was bad um, at the start of the year. Uh, you didn't start seeing completer games, you know, complete games until later in the year. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mostly agree with, with Jeff. I think this is a team that, you know, very well could have been exactly where we all predicted them to be around 10, 11, maybe 12 wins, depending on how things break. Um, and, uh, yeah, you had the rest injury, which just throw the big wrench in the whole thing. Dana, how about you? What's your story? Um, I, you know, I, like I said, when I started that, I think it is a lot of a of multiple multitude of things. Um, I think, I think what this came down to is that luck was not on their side. Like it has been in the past. You know, we've seen so many games over the last couple of years where they squeak it out at the end. Oh, it's the fourth quarter. When do you win the fourth quarter? Not this year. We weren't winning nothing in the fourth quarter this year. So um, I feel like um, inconsistency was probably the most part. And then when the offense was together, the defense was a disaster. They never could get on the same page until those last couple of, of plays, uh, other games. And, and I think that has a lot to do with coaching. And I'm not talking about P. I'm talking about the coordinators. I'm talking about the line coaches. I'm talking about everything. Um, it seemed to be a lot of disconnect. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about the coaches later. We graded people and that sort of thing. But I really feel like um, this team just was never on the same page until the last couple of games. Yeah. I, it's, it, I don't know if it's rare that I'm the, the, <laughs> the cynical one here, or the negative one. I, but but I, I think I am more than you guys on this. I I think that the Seahawks team, talent-wise – was exposed i don't think that this means that they weren't playoff capable i think actually both of these things what you guys said and what i'm about to say can both be true but i don't think the, the seahawks roster had the margin of error that it's had in past years and i think that every team in the seahawks division flashed more talent out there and they dealt with some injuries and uh 49ers especially and they were able to overcome it with a worse quarterback, uh, you know, at least not the way Russ played this year, but, but in general, um, I think that I look at this as kind of a reinforcement of what I, I think, and I think you guys think has been the truth lately, which is the last few years, the Seahawks have not had the talent advantage. And so what was a team that maybe was, I don't know, call them an eight. At, at, at default but they could be up to a 10 that was like a super bowl contending team and they could be down to a six i feel like this was more like a six and a half team that could go up to an eight and go down to like four like it, it just their, their standard deviation i think is just it's still there but it's so they can be better or worse but it's just a lower tier team than it's been and so all the things you guys are talking about if this had been a much more talented team, I still think the season would have gone differently. So I just, for me, it feels odd to exit this season and be like, yeah, this is a playoff team. Um, they just had some bad luck. Like, no, I don't think we're saying that as much. I think we're, when your quarterback gets injured, number one, like he dictates so much of this team, but I don't think anyone's disagreeing with you. I think we've all talked about 
the personnel mistakes, the draft mistakes. And this year, they were really exposed. And the Jamal Adams trade is just lingering all year because Jamal, we'll get into this later. They didn't have a first-round pick last year. Jamal got hurt. We'll talk about how he played later. Uh, not taking Creed Humphrey. They wasted a lot of games on Kyle Fuller, like that Saints game. They lost it by three points. Kyle Fuller couldn't block anyone in that game. And when Ethan Posey came in, they became more functional. He, they have a functional starting center all year. They might win a game or two more. Um, getting nothing out of D. Eskridge. Um, missing in free agency. There's just a lot of stuff. So I don't think you're wrong, but I think, I think you can admit if Russell's healthy, it's not too different than the last couple of years where we've seen a lot. Obviously, they had a coaching change, but I don't think their talent level is all that different from last year, for example. Where they went uh, I'll put this take out there, guys. Based on what I was seeing before Russell got hurt, I don't know how soon the offense would have actually found itself. I, I don't think it was – I think Russell was making some of the same mistakes we've seen him make and was not having as many of the great plays. And the running game wasn't there. The offensive line wasn't great. And, yeah. the def- and I think it wasn't until Penny started running the way he ran and Jake Curhan came in. Um, if those things had happened earlier, maybe, but I, there's no way to prove this one way or another, but my honest gut feeling is it took this long for them to figure out how to run this offense and who, who to put in there to do it. And I think that might've happened no matter what, maybe a couple games difference. Sure. And maybe you sneak into the playoffs with a nine win. Yeah, that's, team I think that's essentially what we're saying, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this, this team with an injury to rest, like I, I think it's the exact same thing. Like if last year they'd had injury to rest, this is what they, they would have looked the exact same that they do this year. Right. Or 2018. Right. right? I mean, um, I think they would have been a playoff team uh, and they would have lost in the first round. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's that whole thing. Um, and I really do think, you know, I think our, our disagreements on this, Brian, really go back to that Tennessee game, mm-hmm. you know, yes, extremely boomer bust. Yes. Looked like ass in the second half. Uh, they took the, the, the Titans, the one seed or yep. in the AFC, yeah. they took them to overtime. So, like, yeah, for as bad as they could look, they were still razor close to beating the number one seed in the AFC. So I I think that you – my opinion is you're discounting that game too much. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's go back to some of our other predictions. We'll talk about some more things as we go here. But uh, we won't go through all of them because that's that's boring to listen to. But there are a few I'll call out. And if you guys think there's others we should call out, let me know. Um, So DK Metcalf was an interesting story this year. And he was one of the first – predictions we were asked to make and we predicted his receiving yards for the year and his touchdowns uh closest to the pin on this one and josh cashman was closest he predicted 1124 yards dk i think ended up with like 975 something like that just under a thousand uh evan was correct on how many touchdowns thanks to his three touchdown effort against the lions Evan predicted 12 touchdowns, and that's what DK ended with. So if you'd known at the beginning of the season, DK Metcalf was going to have 975 and 12 touchdowns, Dana, how would you have felt about that? I would have thought he was underperforming, just like I thought he did underperform this year. Okay. I don't yeah, know say what. Say more. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what. DK Metcalf, okay, first of all, he, we, we knew he was going to start to be double We knew that they were, teams are going to be all over him. We knew that was going to happen, right? We hoped then that would open up things for Tyler and Eskridge, which took some time. Um, and that, that happened too. But at the same time, I just did not feel that this year's DK Metcalf was last year's DK Metcalf. And I don't know why that was. It, and it could be because the offense was different. I mean, we have new OC, they could have changed things up. They, you know, that sort of thing. It probably w- had nothing to do with DK himself, probably just scheming. But if I had said, if someone had told me that he wasn't going to get to a thousand yards this year, I would have laughed. I would have thought, oh, for sure. So to, to know those numbers, even though he almost got 2000, to know those numbers, I would have, I would have thought that he was underachieving a little bit. And that's kind of how I feel. It's not that I'm mad at DK Metcalf. He's a fantastic player. I just didn't feel warm fuzzies about him this year. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, we talk about the Russell injury. No one ever talks about the DK injury. He didn't practice almost the entire year and is looking like he may need foot surgery in the off season. Um, How much do you think that played a role or did you see any reason to think that that was part of what was going on? It's hard for me to say on that one, but I will say this, this might have nothing to do with the injury. His chemistry with Russell was not right most of the year. And I don't know if that was him missing practice time or Russell being out, but they just seemed out of sorts a lot. I, I know listening to like the Hasselbeck show, uh, he would just talk about how they couldn't run some basic stuff, like stuff. There was one game where he just ran like a, a hitch around near the goal line. He Russell missed him. It was like, Hasselbeck said it's like a high school play. And I don't know how you can miss a six foot three guy that much, but all year, it was, Metcalf just had sort of a strange year where he kind of heated up at the end, but he showed some like immaturity on the field and he was inconsistent. We had a lot of games where he wasn't being targeted in the first half. I don't know if it was a coaching thing or a quarterback thing where they couldn't figure out how to get DK Metcalf the ball. It was very odd. So he had a pretty disappointing year from that standpoint. It was nice to see him heat up at the end and sort of come together and you can see how it's just like, I know Brian, you pointed this out, like his energy when other people scoring. I think that was pretty cool to see. But yeah, I, I don't want to personally say it was a foot injury, but he had a strange year because he had a nice natural progression from year one to two. I think we we're all expecting a pretty big jump in year three. That's usually a huge jump for receivers. And I think from all of our, other than that one game, really, it was a pretty disappointing year. Yeah, I mean, Nathan, one of the stories I, I was just found interesting this year was how fans started to turn on DK. Like uh, I definitely noticed people starting to feel like didn't like his attitude, thought he was too much of a diva started saying he was a me guy. Personally, I don't see that, but, but I can, you know, whatever. Um, did your point of view on DK as a player, either someone that you want to have on your team or someone in terms of his ceiling and what kind of talent he can be, did it change at all this year? No, not at all. Um, I, I do think the the injury probably affected him and that was part of the problem. I don't think he ever looked as insanely fast as he has in the past. Um, still obviously a great year very good but I, I don't think he looked quite the same so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that foot was a problem I mean and you know uh it would be it it might be a different story if he was doing this on a 12-1 team um but he was frustrated for pretty good reason on a losing team um 
And so, you know, I'm not going to begrudge a guy for wanting to, to win. I think, you know, obviously he didn't handle everything perfectly, uh, uh, but he's still a young dude. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't have any concerns about him going forward or giving him lots of money or anything like that. Yeah. I, I'm in the same place. I, I, I don't know exactly why I think people just don't like it when players mouth off, but honestly, when you're losing and that just happened. <laughs> like if you care, people are going to get upset. Uh, but I do think, you know, Jeff, you pointed out a few times. Um, I don't think the relationship with DK and Russ was got off to a really good start. I mean, they, they trained together. They obviously were working together all off season the first year and the second year. And it seemed like it got strained to this year a little bit. And one of the things, I don't know if you guys heard this, the DK said in a, in an interview, I don't know, it was a few, maybe a few weeks ago, but one of his big learnings is that even though he feels like he's always open, you know, uh, the ball needs to go be spread around and it sounds obvious, but it sounded earnest as well that he, it sounded like he had, he, he admitted he had some growing up to do about um, how things had to work. And so maybe it'll end up being all for the better. I do think if he gets foot surgery this off season, it's going to affect his ability to spend time with Russ, um, you know, to redevelop whatever chemistry seemed to get broken up this year. So um, I think they both have work to do. I don't know why Russ has so much trouble throwing to him this year on basic routes. And I don't know why DK who asks for jump balls and be treated like a big receiver never raises his hands to catch a jump ball, except for, in pregame where he's catching everything with one hand over his head, but we never see him lift his hands over his head in a game. So um, yeah, interesting season for him. Um, here's one that was fun. Uh, who's going to have more rushing yards this year, Rashad Penny or DJ Dallas? <laughs> Dana's shaking her head because Dana, what did you predict? Uh, DJ Dallas. I laughed at that. <laughs> Why question. did you predict that? Well, because I knew that Rashad Penny would not be on the field for more than four games. Who knew that those four to five games would give him a thousand <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, and DJ Dallas didn't have a bad year, right? Mm-mm. No, he didn't. He was fine. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, I liked the the run game in the last part of the, the season. I, I like a run game, but um, but yeah, I, there's no one. And if anyone says they predicted this from Rashad Penny, is they're a liar because that no one expected what we got. And I'm thrilled for the kid. He's a he's a great kid, and and I'm so glad that he finally got to show, um, you know, kind of what the coaches kept telling us they saw. You remember they kept pitching him to us all the time. Um, but I'm I'm glad we finally got to. That. I'm thrilled for him. And and uh, but yeah. I, I picked TJ Dallas, so I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's, I mean, I remember us having conversations in the early part of the year where we talked about that we thought this offense would actually be better for Rashad Penny than Chris Carson. We had those conversations multiple times. There's a lot of uh, outside zone. You know, it depends more on speed, uh, chance for him to get some breakaways. That proved to be true. It just took a while. Um Going forward, do any of you think that Chris Carson, it, let's say that they have Rashad Penny. We're going to get into free agents here in a little bit. Let's say they have both of them. Do any of you think that Chris Carson should start over Rashad Penny? I'm seeing no, no ob- uh, objections. 
that's amazing, right? Like that's a pretty big change. And again, let's assume full health. I know that Chris Carson's got some health questions, but I, I don't think Chris Carson at his best represents the opportunity that we saw from Rashad Penny at his best um, in the last few games. Um, so that's a pretty big outcome for this season. Uh, one of the other predictions we had here was <laughs> who's going to have more receiving yards, Freddie Swain or D Eskridge. <laughs> uh, we all took an L on that one, except for Josh, Josh Cashman, for some reason, picked Freddie Swain and was correct. Uh, keep an eye on that. That's a, that's a trend here, but, um, D Eskridge guys, what happened? What happened this year? Je Jeff, I mean, even though we wanted, we wanted Creed Humphrey, we have video evidence of how upset we were that they didn't take Creed Humphrey. Uh, Nathan even jokingly gave the grade of D. Um, I gave it an F, but uh, to uh, D getting drafted. You don't oh, remember yeah. that, do you? Spoiled I do that. remember that. Yeah. Uh, so what happened? Like, is it just the injury he had in the first game and everything else would have been hunky-dory? Like, what's going on? No, it was a combination of things. Yeah, the injury is a big deal. He never really got started. He had a severe concussion. He be sent to Florida to go see a concussion expert. And that definitely impacts the way, especially how he plays. He's a really physical, kind of a violent runner. And frankly, he looked, when he got playing a little bit, he looked a little raw. And there were times where he was running the wrong routes. And the coaching staff never seemed quite comfortable putting him back in the lineup where they had that game. I think it was in Green Bay where – like okay we got ds bridge he lit up in practice and he got like one snap and frankly he just never really got started and you we, they really didn't figure out how to utilize him well as well that might be a thing on the coaching staff where they figured out the jet sweep but not much else and i think they need to take a step back and they need to figure out how to utilize their players better this is an issue i think we see all over the team and it's been kind of for years where they're not utilizing some players well, well when they get them. And D just really never got started and never got momentum. And really the concussion just made it a lost season. Yeah. I mean, I kind of see it as like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, kind of like an actualization pyramid thing. Like the offense was so fundamentally flawed. You didn't get up a couple levels to where guys like D Eskridge were getting utilized the way I think you'd hope for them to get utilized. Uh, he is not the number one priority or the number two, or maybe even the number three priority for the offense. And so, yeah, I think, I think that affected things, but I'm curious, uh, by a show of hands, uh, do all of you, well, let me just ask you, are you bullish or bearish on D Eskridge future with the Seahawks? Dana. Which one is good? Bull is good. Bear is bad. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, if I'm I like Shane Waldron better, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand this offense at this point. And I know that not all of us agree on Shane Waldron, but I, I just don't get it. So I have a hard time saying the kid's going to be good if the offensive plan is just crap. But I would say, I think we saw sparks of talent out of him. And I think that Jeff is 100% right. I think that he never got good footing this season at all. He never got to a place where he could kind of, you know, 
explore more into his position. And, you know, we have to remember he's guy number three, right? Actually number four behind number four. So Wayne, right? And so I think that we'll have to see if next year he can make that jump. If he makes the good jump, then yeah, I'll be a little bullish on him. And I don't expect him to turn into DK Metcalf. He's a different kind of player, but I don't know. I just don't like the offense, but we'll see. I, I'm, we'll see. Uh, Tommy Eden in chat, Nathan says, instead of bull or bear, he's man, bear, pig on, uh, uh on the Eskridge, uh, for the South Park fans out there. Um, good or bad. <laughs> so I could really uh, go. Uh, guys, yeah. Do you, Nathan, are you, are you, are you bullish? Do you feel good about his future or bearish? Do you feel bad about who D Eskridge is going to be? Um, uh, it's hard. I guess I'm bearish just because so hard to say. I mean, it was a loss for sure. Um, it's a little concerning that he still, that he was r- running wrong routes. Um, there's a clip I tweeted out where DK is like yelling at him pre-snap. Hey, uh, you need to adjust the route. And then uh, he doesn't. And, you know, uh, the, the ball's nowhere near him. And DK is like, hey, I told you. And DK is like, D just kind of looks like he's a little deer in the headlights. So, that combined with his age and stuff, he's already an old rookie. Um, I am I'm super excited about where his ceiling is right now. Jeff, any any additional thoughts there? You already talked about D, so you know you you, you you think you think with all that you mentioned that there's still reason to be hopeful about what kind of player he can be. I do. I would buy stock in him. I, I think his value is pretty low right now. But I agree. I think everything we thought when we saw him play just in the first preseason game we saw him and the stuff we thought he can do from the draft. I still think all of that applies, but yeah, there's certainly concerns. His age is certainly something we'll have to talk about with some of the issues with this team's drafting. It's not great. One of the concerns he played at a small school. And like Nathan said, it's a big jump and combining all those things, there's definitely reasons to be skeptical, but I still think once he gets that second year, we see it a lot. Like, Daryl Taylor, if you ask us, we all thought of Daryl Taylor last year. Obviously, I don't think they're similar. Daryl Taylor's got a way bigger ceiling, but I think a lost year isn't the biggest deal for a guy. I think with a full offseason, hopefully he can take a jump, but yeah. there's definitely I, reasons to be skeptical. I, I just think I saw the tools with this kid, so I, I, I'm i still very bullish. Uh, we heard Pete Carroll in the press conference, or maybe it was the, the Pete Carroll show talk about that he's going to be involved in the kicking game. They kept him out of it this year, probably because of the concussion, but he's going to be the punt returner next year. Like I think there'll be things we'll see from him that will help this team. Um, definitely anyone, but Freddie Swain returning punts would be great. Um, so let's move it along a little bit. Uh, interestingly, we talked about the, where the team would finish in offensive rank for points scored and defensive rank for points scored. And this is, pretty friggin' important for what kind of team you're going to be. And almost all of us, except for Nathan, picked this team to be a top five scoring offense. And Nathan picked them to be sixth. So not like Nathan was super, you know, negative. They finished 16th. Okay. So that's not even the top half. (laughs) Well, yes, it's not even really the top half of the league. It's right at the halfway point. Um, whereas with the defense, uh, and by the way, the previous year that the team had been ranked seventh in points scored. So we were all predicting them to get better. They actually got worse previous year than defense. They had ranked 16th in points allowed. 
Uh, just about everybody picked them to be, you know, well, Evan had him at 19th, Derek had at 17th, Josh had him at 20th, um, Nathan 13th, Jeff 14th. Dana ended up being the closest. I'm very bitter about this one, Dana, because you ended up with 12. But you know why? Because of Russell Wilson. 14 Wait, points in this last game because of Russell Wilson go against the defensive points allowed, but they had nothing to do with that. So uh, I would have, I would have taken that home and you'll understand why I care about this when we get to the totals at the end here, but. Uh, Weren't they seventh in offense and DVOA? Well, that's not what the prediction. Was. I know, but Nathan, Nathan nailed it. No, no, no. That's a different no, Jeff's prediction right. Jeff's, entirely. Let's, let's listen to that for a minute here. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Nathan cares about the more progressive stats, not the old. Well, next year, next year we will do DVOA just to make you guys happy. But you don't get to change stats, like. Okay. Uh, um. So, so technically, my six on the offense was a typo. I meant to say sixteen, so I would have nailed it. <laughs> oh, that I buy. I, yeah. That actually makes more sense. But honestly, like. Is it as simple as the story this year? Is that the offense just like dramatically underperforms and we're yes, uh, quarterback injury and all that, but offense wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And defense for me, was better than I thought it would be. It was right around there. Where are you guys on that? How do you, how, how do you think about that? Um, at least maybe talk a little bit about the defense. Um, Dana, what are your thoughts? Um, I was impressed with the defense. Here's the thing that drives me insane. I, yes, I would still prefer Ken Norton was not our defensive coordinator. Now, I know that he always manages to figure it out toward the end of the season, but why the hell does it take so long to come up together? I hate it. it drives me insane. I, and so um, I, I liked the way this defense, I would like more depth on this defense, but I really liked the way that it kind of came together. And you guys can bitch about Jamal Adams all you want, but I, I, I really still am very glad he's on the team. And I really, I think that he is an important figure on this team. Um, you know, whatever you want to say about his trade, I, I'm glad he's here. Um, and I think, I think that they need, they used him one way the first season and totally different the second season. That's cool. That could be a whole show. Right. So anyway, I, I was impressed with the defense. I like to that um, Dunlap came, came along. I, you know, I love Quandre Diggs. I love Quandre Diggs and I can't wait for him yeah. to. So glad you signed. weren't there to see that part of it. Oh the, my God. Yeah. Broke my heart. Broke my heart. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. I think this defense, they were so good at the end of the year. I still don't want Ken Norton there. I still want a new um, DC in there. And you guys know who I want in there. But um, I, I think that this defense was impressive and, and ended up being better than I expected after probably three or four games. I, I thought it was going to be a nightmare after three or four games. Yeah, I mean, Nathan, we've gone back and forth on this in various ways and and uh, certainly not looking to rehash all of that in terms of which numbers matter. But looking at personnel, like um, I think we talked about the cornerbacks at the beginning of the year and we're like, oh, my God, what's the cornerbacks are going to be a huge flaw. Um, we had questions about how things were going to perform at linebacker. Uh, we had questions about um, – Actually, for the most part, there was there was some optimism about pass rush, um, but but uh, 
how do you feel about the personnel like in general on defense relative to how you felt about them last year? Uh, I mean, obviously I have a ton more confidence in DJ Reed um, putting together now an entire season. Uh, so I think the talent, I, I don't think it's far off from what I thought it would be, but I do think it's probably, it's, it's probably better, probably exceeded my expectations. Uh, <clears throat> especially, you know, Trey Brown played really well for the few games he played. Sydney really held that down well. Um, so, you know, once Trey Flowers got out of here, uh, and, you know, uh, Brooks had some, some learnings, um, but I thought he played you know, probably a little better than expected, and I was pretty hopeful for him. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, question at the end of the year, I think, was, is really about that defensive line and how you, you know, maximize the pass rush. But even there, there's, you know, there's uh, things to hold on to, you know, with Taylor and, um, you know, Robinson should continue to develop and Dunlap played well in the year and Monet, Woods, Puna, they're still good at stuff that they do, even if you don't have a star there. So, um, yeah, I think overall the talent comes out, you know, better than expected. Any thoughts from you, Jeff, on the defense? We're going to start talking about grades, player grades after this. Um, so we'll get into some more specifics. But, um, yeah, I mean, relative to what you expected of this defense, compare and contrast to what actually happened. Yeah, I think Nathan covered a lot of the points I would have made. I think the pass rush to me was an area I was excited about. I thought their depth would really help. And really, I, I think it was a coaching issue. I think it was a talent issue. Other than Daryl Taylor, there wasn't a lot to be excited about until Carlos Dunlap surged at the end of the year. And I thought their usage of Dunlap was strange. And I don't think they used him very well. And once he caught up fire in the last, you saw what we saw last year. Um, their use of Jamal Adams was a little strange this year, and they didn't get the most out of him. I know he was more sound in coverage, but I don't think you're paying that kind of price for an average coverage player. I don't even know if average might be strong. I think their cornerback group was a lot better than what we would have thought. We all wanted Richard Sherman. I think that would have proved to be a big mistake. Richard's body just didn't hold up this year. He went on the IR twice in like seven weeks, and I think – they would have wasted snaps on him instead of guys like Sidney Jones and Trey Brown. And I think that we, I think we were all, most of us were wrong about that and seeing them develop like three corners. And I was one who thought the corners would be a little better than everyone else did. Once they got rid of flowers, I thought if Reed played on one side and they got something on the left side, but they, they got pretty good play by the end. So that shocked me. But again, there's not enough building blocks on this defense. We saw some good stuff from Taylor Brooks really surged at the end of the year, but inconsistency, but really their best two players this year were Al Woods and Quandre Diggs. As much as we like them, those are not building blocks to build a sustainably good defense. I think you need, I'm not a believer in the pass rush coverage thing that I believe pass rush is super important. I believe that's where you have to start with any defense. And I don't think their pass rush has enough building blocks moving forward on the inside or the outside. Just to be clear, I think for folks that might not know what you're meaning, there, there's some analytics that indicate that coverage is more important than pass rush. Um, and uh, so I think Jeff's just saying he's he sees it differently, uh, even if the numbers might suggest otherwise. So uh, for folks that want to do something fun, I highly recommend that you tweet at Will Cornell at Rain City Series on Twitter Talk to him about how great Sidney Jones played. Uh, he would really like to hear about it as a Duck fan. He always 
respects every Husky and thinks every Husky is going to work out well for the Seahawks. And he had some really positive things to say about Sidney Jones before uh, he started playing. So yeah, just give him a little shout, tell him how much you appreciate his support for Sidney Jones. Um, so folks, let's transition. Uh, we can come back to predictions if we want. Um, but let's talk about some grades. Should we should we maybe recap like the final score on the oh yeah 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 that's for sure yes that's a good call um Just trying to slide around right by that one we have to, <laughs> at least i have to mention which is jason myers missed field goals um this is one of the most important predictions of the year and josh nailed it five he nailed it with five um evan of course predicted zero with uh a very inappropriate uh way he that he did it um so I thought he missed six this year. Did he miss six? Yeah, he missed. Okay, six. so Josh was just closest. Um, he was closest. Um, all said and done, I finished dead last after like being one off the the lead last year. I felt good about a lot of these predictions. I was so off. Um, so I got two, two right. It is embarrassing, and Dana got three. If Russell Wilson hadn't thrown those, you know, that pick and the fumble, then Dana would be sitting here feeling like a, a, an idiot. But now Dana just gets to feel smart as she often is. So um, Dana and Derek were tied with second to last place with three each. Um, Derek, very fortunate on his part because his he won. Uh, he got his uh, third point when the Seahawks intercepted three passes by quarterbacks in the second to last game of the season. Um, although he was the, the lowest prediction, so he probably would have been fine either way. Um, then we get up to the next tier. Evan, who was the leader last year, was third to last with five correct. And then we get to Jeff and Nathan, who are so close. So close to mattering, but in the end of the, they just didn't matter. Uh, they, they both got seven correct. And our winner this year, the big smiling doofus, Josh Cashman, our favorite Texan, uh, got eight correct. So he was right about a lot of things. And the funny thing is when we told Josh, he was like, I don't know why I predicted that. <laughs> <laughs> and this just goes to show anyone that's seen Freakonomics or listened to that predictions are like, there's no such thing as expert predictions. It's, it's very hard to do. Um, do not bet your money. It's not a good idea. Uh, so let's get into grades. Let's get into grades. And we're going to start not with players, but with the head of the team. And we broke this out a little bit. We broke out Pete Carroll, head of football operations, grade for him, different than Pete Carroll, head coach. And interestingly, uh, myself, Nathan, and Jeff all gave Pete different grades for those two different jobs. Uh, Dana, you gave him the same grade and you gave him the highest grade. You gave him a C for both of those. So C's not exactly like something to be proud of. So um, talk to us about why, you know, be you before came. Before we before we get into the that, can we level set on the grades? Because I'm so not sure. Because like, so C to me meant like met 
patience. Like, is who I thought he was. I, I, I don't know how you did your C here. Uh, my C meant just meant average. Okay. And kind of like school grade sort of a thing. You know, um, that um, wasn't bad, wasn't good. I, I feel like this year, because we were talking about just this season, I want to make sure everyone knows that we weren't talking overall or anything, um, that it wasn't that different from last year. Um, and although I think um, coaching, he probably did a little better this year than last year. I just have a couple opinions on that, but, um, I thought he was fine. I thought it was just kind of average. It wasn't great. It wasn't good. It wasn't exciting. It was just Pete being Pete. It was average. Yeah. I mean, on the grades, this is, it's always, you know, a little bit subjective. Um, I, I mean, that's part of what we're going to talk about it. Cause I think we each come to their conclusions different ways. The way I went through this is exactly as Dana said, is I, if I was grading someone on their performance, um, A being excellent and B being above average and C being like, you know, mediocre, and then you get into D's and F's for, you know, below, X, you know, not being good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had Pete Carroll's a D for head of football operations, but I had a C as head coach. Um, and my reason for giving Messi as head coach is because I do think it matters how the team ended the, the season. I, I do think that this was the first time they faced this kind of adversity in a long time in his tenure. I do think it was hard given what happened with Russell this off season. And then what happened with Russell during the season to manage this ship. I think that was a really pretty tough job. Um, I didn't go higher for him because one, I think the results do matter. And two, I think that once again, there was a lot of players and scheme choices that they had to figure out during the year. And the fact that people like Trey Flowers started and Kyle Fuller started for as many games as they did, I think is damning. Like, I think that that can't freaking keep happening. Like, we're wrong about a lot of things that we just talked about, but there's some things that are just obvious. Trey flowers was never going to be great. We, I think some of us maybe thought he could be okay, but like when it started to show the same errors, Pete's just too loyal with that stuff. And it, it, it he talked about how much work he'd put into Trey flowers. And I just feel like it colored his judgment. So this could have been lower. It could have been a D or an F if they didn't have the finish that they did. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I was uh, with this. Nathan, you also had him for a D and a C. Uh, Jeff, you as well. Uh, Jeff, why don't you start? I mean, how'd you come to your grades? So my grading was closer, I think, to what Nathan was implying. I graded on a curve purely relative to expectation. So I graded, if someone gets a D, that doesn't mean they're all playing at the same level. It just means my expectation, but back to your question. Yeah, I think you covered a lot of it. I don't think I would have ended off with a C if the season, and like two weeks ago, they lost that game to the Bears where they looked pretty lifeless at the end. And, but one of the jobs of, a, and probably Pete's calling card these days is culture and seeing how the players continued to play for him. And they had every reason to quit on him. They really did. The season mm -hmm. meant nothing. They don't have a draft pick. Uh, a lot of them are free agents. They had every reason to quit. So, getting those guys going in the last two weeks. And they were in a lot of close games this year where they looked like they had talent deficiencies and Geno Smith in there. 
I don't think like his in-game decisions were great this year, but they weren't there weren't as many games that came out thinking like if Pete managed the game better, they might have won. But from my overall standpoint, I agree with what Brian said. I think there's a lot of issues where it comes from the top down where they're not surrounding themselves with enough good coaches. Like you're seeing the head coaching interviews around the league right now. Is one Seahawk guy and mentioned no, there's not even I haven't thought when there's talk of him getting fired, like who could be an interim coach on the staff? I couldn't think of anyone. So I don't think they're doing a good enough job there. I think we've like we talked about the personnel decisions. I don't think they're prioritizing the lines well enough. I think that's a team issue. I think that's part of the issue why they're D. And I think frankly, their draft pick was very questionable at the time, looked far worse than Creed Humphrey turned into arguably the best center in the NFL this year. And then there's things about Jamal Adams and Dunlap, and you mentioned. Fuller was such a predictable mess and they did it with Brandon Jackson all these years. I'm circling back to him again, but I joked in our chat that Fuller had all the qualities of Brandon Jackson. I think this was week one and he turned out almost worse. So it's amazing that the coaching staff every year is like, Oh, we should have played this good young player more, or we wasted years on Drew Nowak. I think Nathan went on a great rant during the year about how they just keep falling in love with these shit players. And that reflects terribly on Pete and, we, we all spend time on the in-game coaching and the timeouts and all the stuff that he's very bad at, but he's doing too many things like that where personnel decisions have, have hurt this team. And he did it again this year. I'll, I'll say something nice about Pete. If we, cause I, I agree. I've given him a C and it's because of all the same reasons. And it's sad that, you know, to me, that's just kind of expectations. You know, I mean, we've seen them really well at the start of the years. We've seen them, make some boneheaded decisions with personnel and all that you know stuff um uh now i forgot the next thing that i was gonna say oh um <laughs> no uh uh i know that some people on here are averse to talking about such in-depth concepts as like a bear front or something like that but uh pete has been and norton there's credit for this too they have been they have been um changing and adapting and evolving this defense and you know uh, I don't think this was especially good. I also don't think the defense was especially bad. Um, uh, and, you know, I think there were times where they were clearly giving um, teams a hard time. They, I felt like, you know, we talked about it. Kyler Murray did not look particularly good against them. Uh, so I think that they are they're growing and evolving that defense, and it's paying some dividends, and I think that they deserve credit for that, that, uh, that continued adaptation. So I think that's the one thing where, you know, uh pete is redeeming himself a little bit well so let's talk about john schneider um one of the tougher grades to make and i think everyone probably has different ways of how they they got to it um i'll start i I gave him a c and i i think a number of you went lower than that um i think dana you and i both were at c I think the results in a lot of ways were, were pretty bad. Um, but here's something that I think, I, I don't know. I, I think people could come down the wrong side of it. I think the Seahawks even could. I think their process on the pass rush was actually good this year. I liked what they did. I liked that they didn't try to just go and pay top dollar for a pass rusher, which can or can't work. It doesn't always work out the way you think it will. Um, we've seen the Patriots and some other teams over the years assemble pass rushes with a number of lower priced veterans. I mean, 
how many teams has Justin Houston played for um, at age 39 and been productive as a pass rusher? Terrell Suggs, like Von Miller is probably going to be now in that kind of category. I'm not against this team assembling a, a harmony of pass rushers, so to speak, that are lower priced. It just didn't work out. Like they picked the wrong guys. And then I think they changed to a scheme that didn't actually really allow for the edge pass rush to, to, to thrive. And I think this whole thing that they had the whole year of dropping past pass rushers into coverage all the time, many times we see Carlos Dunlap and Benson Mayoa in coverage this year. Why is Carlos Dunlap ever in coverage? Like anyway, so I think the coaching, especially on the defensive side of the ball, didn't really help with some of the moves Schneider made. Um, I don't think they optimized some of their players. Um, and I think things like there's different ways to evaluate a GM. I think from a cap space perspective, yes, we talk about draft. We talk about free agency trades. There's all pluses minuses there. I think the Seahawks are one of the better teams in the league at cap management. Um, I think they've done a really good job there. And um, yeah, there's one other point I was going to make related to, oh, the Jaron Reed move. They tried to get Jaron Reed to restructure. He didn't. They let him go and they signed out Woods. Like, ended up being one of their best players on, on defense this year. So for a lot less money. Um, so yeah, I, and as much as I should be clear that the grade here, we it was instructed to be not based off of trades or moves in the past that led to issues this year, but what you had this year. So the Seahawks had three draft picks. I think all three have potential. Um, I think D. Eskridge, we already talked about D. Trey Brown. We talked about a little bit. I think he might be the best of the bunch. Hopefully from an injury, we'll, we'll see what comes out of that. But, and then Stone Forsyth, um, I think he has potential. So anyway, uh, all in all, I don't think that, that John Schneider had an F type of season. Um, I, for me, he was more of a, a C, uh, some of the moves just didn't work out. So process wise, I liked it. Um, I'm surprised there, there, some of your bugaboos were, I, I thought would give him a, a lower grade for you. Like what? Phil Hanks yeah. this year now. And that one's hard to, to split between him and Pete because coaches have a lot of say on that. Um, the D D Eskridge over Creed Humphrey thing. Um, and then for me, I don't like that Adams contract. And I, I don't think mm. the defense continuing to play well without Jamal Adams um that was not this year we weren't allowed to talk about anything but this year he this paid year. adams this year oh the contract i think the, the contract sorry 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 yeah sorry, yeah, sorry. yeah 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 uh so you know it's hard to i have a hard time seeing where they're getting like 15 million dollars of surplus value out of jamal adams over what you know uh they're probably paying me i don't know what that number is exactly but um yeah so those those were three big things that for me dropped him below a c Jeff, anything different that you'd add? No, we covered the Creed Humphrey thing so many times when you're looking at an all-pro player versus the third receiver who had, like, what, six catches? It's hard to give the GM a great grade. Um, um, I think Nathan covered Jamal Adams' contract. I don't think that's a great look. And seeing the defense play fine without Jamal and Bobby, which is where the majority of their money is, you got to wonder if their team's being built properly and I, I, it's hard to give a good, it's, yeah, we, we liked a lot of things that John did in the off season because they had really limited space with a lot of needs. And a lot of those things they had to do with contracts 
and the fact that they kept the money forward for next year to cover all those costs, that was smart. But I just think overall, they built a team that we all thought was pretty flawed and needed to be covered by a quarterback and quarterback didn't play well. So just not good enough. Benson Mayo, they signed, they pretty much got nothing out of him. And Brian hammered all year about the center and the third receiver. I thought Freddie Swain was okay. I, I think Brian was hard on him in the off season, but just too many things that just didn't work out. And they didn't sign Quandre Diggs, for example, his contract got a lot more expensive. And now they're going to have to, if they sign him, that's a lot of money at the safety position to add what they've been saying. I think that the plus side of him is getting Sidney Jones and setting up and finding capable cornerbacks. They added two to three quarterbacks in the building. Even John Reed looked like a guy who can hold up and as a backup. So some good things, but just not enough to get out of the, where we all graded them. Yeah, Dana, anything you want to add about John or should we move on? No, I, th- I think you guys covered most of it. Yeah, I agree. So then let's talk about Ken Norton Jr. for a second uh, as the first assistant coach. So um, you all gave him a C. I gave him a D. Um, Dana, why did you give him a C? So I tried to give him a C minus, but then you put it in there so he couldn't even do it because I just couldn't bring myself to give him a D because of the way the defense played at the end of the year. But I wanted to give him a C minus. I couldn't. He wouldn't let me. So, uh, so, so how did you come to your grade, though, regardless of what it was? So here's the thing. I, I, I here's the thing with Kent Norton. I, I don't, I don't always think that what he's trying to do with the defense can come across in the defense. And then we aren't seeing um, the same defense literally from quarter to quarter to quarter of the season. You know, and it takes so long to get everyone rolling at the beginning of the year. They don't make up um, uh, for injuries well. And that has to do with depth more than anything. I understand that. But I just feel like as much as the players love him, that doesn't make him a good coach. He's a fine coach. Uh, We need a good coach. We need a better defensive coordinator. And keep him on the team. Put him back, I, whatever you want to do. I don't, I don't care what you do with him. I just really, really want something more from him. And I can't decide because last year when the defense was terrible, historically terrible at the beginning of the season, it felt like, and it seemed like Pete Carroll took over that defense and then they got so much better. I'm wondering if that happened again this year. So I just don't trust him. I just don't trust him as far as I can throw him. And, but at the same time, the guys will play for him. So he has to get some credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, this was a tough grade to, to, to come to for me. Um, was it easy for you to pick C, or were you kind of thinking back and forth on this one? No, I was pretty quick on that. Um, I think he kind of met my expectations, sort of how I graded it. I think he's a pretty average coordinator, and I think they did some good things, and they did some bad things. And I'm not the biggest X's and O's guy. I study a lot of Twitter and read a lot of things. That's not my strength. I'm more of like a personnel guy. Um, X's and O's, like Griff and Maddie, they do a really good job breaking down some of the unique stuff that Ken does really well. And I think they've gotten more modern on defense. Nathan talked about it earlier. They, they've made a lot of changes. And I think Ken does deserve credit for that. But there's just troubling patterns where they're not identifying the right personnel. They're starting the year slow. They're giving up these crazy amount of passing yards there. They almost set records for yards. I know they're the bend, but don't break. That might be a personnel thing, but 
To me, too much of it is just average. Some of the stuff with players dropping that don't fit that, but I think getting a lot out of Al Woods and getting a lot out of Monet. So that there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. The whole Jamal Adams thing, I don't know if that was Pete or Ken, but he said there was that article that I think uh, Adam Jude wrote where Jamal had to meet with the coach after the Rams game and he was not happy with how he was being used and Dunlap was not happy with how and we see when Dunlap moved forward, how much better he is. So we saw a mixed performance from Ken Norton, I thought. Some creative, cool stuff in terms of scheming and X's and O's, but just player usage and personnel, too underwhelming. And I think the defense all year was average at best. And so that's how I graded him. Yeah, I, I was the only person that gave him a D, um, which might be confusing considering I've been defending the defense all year. Um, here's the thing and how I got there. I, I feel like, and I, I don't know this for sure, but this is just my interpretation. I believe that Pete Carroll gives his coordinators a fair amount of autonomy um, until things go the wrong way. And then I think he gets very involved on both offense and defense. And I think that two years in a row, the defense has fallen on its face um, toward the beginning of the year. The first game of the season was great. The first half against the Titans was great, but against the second half against the Titans and then, and then the Vikings game, most of that game, especially the second half, like it just, it looked like a defense that wasn't going to be productive. Um, and I don't know if you guys heard DJ Reed's end of the year press conference, but he was like, yeah, things kind of turned around when they let us play more man defense instead of he called it soft zone. Like, Every corner who ever lived is always going to talk about that things are better when they play man because they all prefer it. But he also said, and this might've been more damning, you know, for us to get better, we just have to, it's up to the players. The coaches are going to call things, but we've got to do things on the field and figure out what the right thing is to do. Things got better when we started communicating more and making changes based on like, I don't know. So my one of my predictions, if we were making offseason predictions, I have a feeling Ken Norton's gone. Uh, Pete, Pete, Pete's very usually like totally out front when all the coaches are fine. He's been very tight lipped about that um, this time, maybe because of what happened with Schottenheimer last year. But I have a feeling, I have a feeling he's going to look at that and see his the amount of involvement he had to have and how players were misused and I just I think Ken Norton I think Ken Norton is a friend and someone that is a is loyal to Pete I don't think he's adding much and I just think that that's been exposed and and so that's it, it, yeah that's kind of how I got there with Ken Norton hey, can I throw something in there too I did take into consideration that the time that the defense spent on the field too because that was a disaster they lived on the defense on the field for so long. And so I did try and take that into consideration too. And yet at the same time, they were so worn out and so tired and there didn't seem to be any changes in scheme. I, I don't know. I, I I'm ready to move on from Ken. See, I actually leaned, well, not, not leaned. I, I was pretty okay with my C grade for all the reasons that you guys have said. Um, but you know, if, if you had to, put me at a lean I would have leaned B over you know going lower um I don't know that I agree with some of the not using players well I mean we saw them trade Akella Witherspoon they cut Trey Brown or Trey Flowers um 
but you know, DJ Reed looked great. Uh, Trey Brown looked great. Uh, Sidney Jones um, looked uh, got better throughout the year uh, and and looked okay. Um, there were times where they were down to what, Josh Jones as a safety right, um, Mike Jackson at cornerback, bless Austin, um, and the defense was still you know holding together. Um, it's very possible that Pete is stepping in after some of these really rough starts. And, and maybe I'm giving Norton too much credit for some of the turnarounds, but the turnarounds have been real. Uh, and they're not just running the LOB defense. So they're not just running Pete's defense, right? That doesn't mean that Pete's not the one that's taking over and still calling shots and driving a lot of this evolution, but um, I'm, I'm hesitant to just say, Oh, it's just Pete. Uh, so yeah, I think, and, and part of it is too that I don't had I didn't have super high expectations for Norton coming to the year, so it's a little bit of a lower bar for him for me. But um, yeah, I think that uh, they got better throughout the year. Um, they clearly gave offenses troubles at time. Um, the, for as much as they bent, they they rarely broke. Um, and I don't know how sustainable that is, but they did it. So uh, I, I think that um, I think we may be being too hard on Ken Norton Jr. Yep, uh, totally reasonable. I, I I can see where where you're coming from. Um, Nathan, I'm gonna stick with you on Shane Waldron. So, Shane Waldron for you was a C. Um, and I also had him at a C. Uh, Dana and Jeff had him at D. Uh, Derek, who uh, filled out for us as well, he had Shane Waldron as a B. He is a Shane Waldron B for bit. <laughs> uh yeah so so nathan yeah how, similar like how, how hard was it for you to grade shane waldron all these guys are, are hard to grade because there were such it, it was just an incredibly boom or bust year like in every aspect the offense the defense the you know the start of the year versus the end of the year um the explosion from rashad penny i mean um there was nothing that was in between or consistent about this team. And so, you know, you can look at some stuff and, you know, for all these guys say they deserve an F and then there's other things that you can look at and say, you know, maybe they're a B or better. Um, so for Waldron, what I really kind of just where I ended up with the C on him is, you know, I, I think when things were right, when players were healthy, um, the offense tended to look good. Um, it was a little shaky in the beginning of the year, but there's a new coordinator with a fairly new system coming in. And so you, you can expect some growing pains. Then you have all the weirdness with Russ um, and his injury, um, you know, but we did see some signs that he was trying the, that intermediate of the middle of the field a little bit more, um, you know, especially late in the season, the last few games, his just overall process looked way better um in terms of getting the ball out quickly and on time and, and so Russ clearly had some comfort in the system um the improvements on the offensive line helped there a lot and so that makes it really hard to judge because you know that the line just started playing out of their mind and any offensive coordinator is going to look good when when your line plays like that but um so yeah so in the end I just kind of gave up and gave him a C um Dana you give him a D I like the definitive C is, is where graders hide um <laughs> You know, when you get off the, the ledge, that's where things get interesting. So, so why D? 
Well, I've already stated multiple times on the show tonight that I am not a fan of Shane Waldron. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the, the hire to begin with. I'm not a big believer in Wonder Kids. I think that they are out there. I think that they are few and far between. I think that um, Sean McVay and Zach Taylor skewed a lot of people. They just assume that they're young means they're good. And I... And, and that makes me sound like an old lady. I mean, Nathan called me a boomer today. I'm not even a boomer, but he's like, <laughs> called me a boomer today. Because, uh, you know, because the 49ers OC is, like, I called him a hipster homebrewer. Anyway, so I think that when I, I didn't have a lot of expectation for him anyway. And then the fact that we didn't see anything really innovative. I didn't see a huge change. And again, to Nathan's point, it was a weird year, like, with, you know, the injuries and, and that sort of thing. But here's what I wanted from Shane Walter. I wanted a spark we never got. I wanted um, to show that he deserved the job he was handed. And I don't ever feel like I got that out of him this year. I, I hate that I was right, that it took Adrian Peterson to come in to turn the running back room around. You know, from from that aspect, that that's the offensive coordinator's job. That's the running backs coach's job, not Adrian Peterson. And and I don't like those. I think that they should have. He should have done something about DK in his wackiness at the beginning of the season. I, I don't know. And I like personality in my football players. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I just never felt like he was coaching. I never felt that he he brought anything really to the table. And again. I'm a little biased, not a huge fan of offenses, but I just didn't, I don't know. A lot of that resonates, Dana. I I think that's well said. Jeff, you also had him at a D. Um, How'd you get there? Well, it's funny because I I think the last two games are a great look for Waldron. And I think if we were grading you, you, I have to clarify this with you in our chat today, because I'm pretty high on him moving forward. I think there's a lot, when you saw how the offense came together, how strong that all looked, but I thought going into the year, I thought this looked like a 10 to 11 win team. And I thought the one thing that could raise their ceiling more than anything was Shane Waldron. I thought they needed great offensive coaching to unlock some of the things that Russ struggled with down the stretch and all the offense sort of went apart when the deep ball went away. And frankly, the offense just looked pretty disjointed all year. And I think Waldron was just being pulled in two different directions, one from Pete and one from Russ. And I think they, we can get into that another day, but I think he was being, I think he had a really hard job where he was being pulled by how Russ wants to run the offense and how Pete wants the offense. And I don't think he ever found his rhythm. We saw all that motion and deception in week one, but that kind of went away. And there were just games where they were struggling to target DK Metcalf. And they weren't, there was times where Brian was talking about where the run was working and they just went away from it. And the offense just seemed to never have an identity. And just, you saw like what the Rams offense looks like and, it was hard to just hang or hat in anything. The Seahawks did well. Russell probably had his worst season. So I think that has to reflect on the offensive coordinator. And play calling was a mixed bag and pro- closer to bad all year. So I wasn't high. If I'm grading his past performance, not very well. But in terms of future, I see a lot of potential there. And you remember, like, when Kyle Shanahan got with Matt Ryan, it took basically until the second year for it to take off. And I know McVay and Goff hit it off pretty quick, but it took, like, six or seven games. A lot of guys with Bruce Arians, it takes like half a season. So I think we might have overestimated him and how quick they can turn things around. But the running backs all got injured. The offensive line didn't play great. But I think this year it's hard to see me 
giving any sort of positive grade on it because I just think the offense was such a- Yeah, you guys are convincing me I, I, I went too high on this one. I mean, it's true. Like, here's here's why I didn't go lower. I mean, I think that Shane Waldron probably had the hardest job of any of the coaches coming in because of the limitations of this offseason and they couldn't have OTAs and they weren't able to do a lot of like when you're a new coordinator coming in and to hopefully install a new offense or at least portions of it I think there was challenges there and then I think the decision not to play starters in the preseason at all also made that even more challenging especially for the offense and then your quarterback gets hurt early and so there were definitely some some issues there that I think I understand why it would have been a little bit of a bumpier ride, but to Dana's point, I still don't know who Shane Waldron is. I People may give me so much shit at the beginning of the year when I talked about his press conferences and how much I was not getting confidence from those, but the guy just came across as a pushover to me, did not seem like a leader. I was not seeing like that side of him at all. And then you see clips of him on the sideline saying like, I'm going to call this Pete, unless you want me to call this. And I'm like, God, it just like feels like it's confirming my worst fears. If you don't have a strong point of view, then you don't belong in that job. Like period. You need to know what you want to do and you need to be convincing Pete, whether Pete's banging down your door saying, no, I want this. You say, no, we're going to do this. It's going to work. And you put your ass on the line. I don't get that at all from Shane Waldron. I don't think that's who he is. And I don't think that's who he'll ever be. And to Jeff's point, I thought he was searching the whole season. I didn't think he had any idea how to call plays and how to like counter one with another. And I've never, it, it, we were I mean, literally talking about things that we haven't seen. And I mean, the, the time of possession, they could not get on. They couldn't stay on the field. It was just so bad. And so a lot of those things were really bad. And then all of a sudden, when you have a historic level rushing performance, and let's be clear about that, then you start to see like, okay, I can see how this fits together exactly the way we talked about. So yeah, I, I guess I graded on a curve. I think D is a totally fair grade, um, but I ended up at a C there. Anything you wanted to add on that one, Nathan? No, I mean, I would, the one thing that 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 play with him and Pete on the sideline was really interesting. Or that that interaction. The one thing I would say there is he had something he wanted to do. He was like, "We're going to do this. We're going to do this, and we're going to hit Tyler in the end zone for a touchdown." And then he and then you're and then he was like, "Well, unless you want to run the ball, Pete, <laughs> right?" Uh, so I mean, I do think you know, in fairness to him, he had a clear picture, and they did it, and they scored a touchdown. Uh, uh, and credit to Pete for you know saying, "I like touchdowns. Good job, Pete." Um, <laughs> but hey you know p is just a dude that can shoddy after three pretty successful years for philosophical difference he canned uh baits after a single year like if you're watching you got to kind of maybe have that in the back of your head no so. way man not if you're gonna be a six you think you think sean mcveigh spent any time when he was an oc or kyle shannon th- those guys do not they never spend a second thinking i might get canned they think you can can me, but good luck finding someone better. Like that's their mentality. Like they don't have any doubts about themselves and, and, and what they're, what they're capable of. Shane Waldron is just not that. I don't, I don't think that's who he is. Yeah. But, I don't yes. know. I think the situation. Yes. Yeah. 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 So 
that's it for the coaches. Um, <laughs> we've got a bunch more to go through. Uh, this, this could go all night. So, so we'll kind of pick and choose a little bit here. I do think we have to talk about Russell Wilson. Um, I'm fascinated by this one. Yeah. So the Russell grades were kind of a, a broad array. Um, some of the biggest spread. Dana was most positive. Dana gave Russell a B. Um, uh, Nathan and Jeff gave him a D and I gave him a C. So it is a little bit breaking from probably what people would expect. Um, uh, Jeff, tell us why you started with a D on, on Russ. Uh, again, it's all relative to expectation. I, I, th- I think the, we well, seeing him at the end of the year, obviously, I think I was a little hard on him this year, but I just expect Russell Wilson, especially coming off the offseason he had last year where he's talking all this stuff. And I, if I want to see an MVP level or Pro Bowl level player, and I thought this was the worst season of his career, the injury was a factor, probably more than I initially thought, just in terms of me, because seeing how much better he got when he was healthy. But there was just a, a big stretch in the middle of the season, even in the beginning of the season, where he was the worst third down quarterback in the NFL. And to me, that's just unacceptable. And there's, he was just making too many rudimentary mistakes that went beyond the finger. And there's that Chicago game. The season was basically over at that point. But he takes a sack that a high school level player shouldn't take. That ultimately, arguably cost him the game. And there was just a lot of stuff where you saw him just going through really rough stretches where he just didn't look like a very good quarterback. And I think a lot of us just were wondering about what happens when his athletic ability goes away and he was trying to do too much and he was missing open guys. There was just a lot of troubling signs during the era. We were talking about trading him, which I've come back around on. I think that would be a dumb mistake in hindsight. But he just didn't look – he looked like Jared Goff this year a lot of times. And to me, comparing Russell Wilson and Jared Goff is alarming. So I just didn't think he played well this year, and that's why I graded him a D. Nathan, you also had him in a D. How, how did you get there? Yeah, basically the same thing. I mean, you know, for the first few weeks, it was bumpy, but, you know, mostly looked like Russ. Um, Then he gets hurt. He rushes himself back, um, knew he wasn't ready, uh, but, uh, you know, rushed himself back anyways. So that, you know, he made that decision. I mean, he tried to get back. He tried to help team and all that, but he didn't. um, Didn't help the team. Uh, And so I think you have to be critical of him for that. Um, uh, And there were just problems that were, you know, not directly injury related. Maybe it was in his head and that's why he was making some dumb decisions and dumb throws, but you know, uh, he did that. And so I, he would have gotten an F for me if, um, if it wasn't for the last few games where his process and everything, and, you know, he clearly looked right from a health perspective and he, he was going through it and doing it the right way. Um, you know, and staying in the system and, and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it was just an incredibly disappointing year, uh, yeah, Dana, you you were on the other side of this one. You had him at a B. I did, and it's it's purely because of his determination. So I look at this, and I have to be careful because I don't love quarterbacks. But I have to. I look at this as this is the first time in ten years he has ever been injured. This was the first time he's ever had to deal with that. Um, interruption in what he feels is his greatness okay and and he had to take a step back from that and I love that two things about Russ I love his absolute fierce determination that he has and his pure belief in himself now bit him in the ass because Nathan's absolutely right he came back way too soon 
He admitted he came back too soon. He should have just said, I'm injured and taken a minute, but he just couldn't let himself. Good or bad, you're right. It cost the team some games, but I admired that at the same time. Would I have told him to do it? No, but I admired that. And then what really turned it around for me was the end of the season and how he was going to make sure they ended on the right note. And that rang super true to me. He could have been the first one to say, screw this. I'm out of this team. I don't want to be here. I'm going to just let these guys fall apart. And he absolutely didn't. And I think that's why so many people like Russell Wilson, so many people in the league, fans, everyone, is because you truly believe that's what he's doing, that he believes it's his job to fix this team and to to lift this team up. And I really was impressed by that. So I, I thought that, yes, it was his worst year ever, no question. But that, that just really sat with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how no, much. To add. No, you don't agree. Look at your face. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's really tough because I think my expectations for Russ have lowered in the last year. So, so that's part of where I think, I don't think of Russ as an MVP candidate anymore. Um, going into last year, I did. And I think that the things that he doesn't do well have been so consistent. Um, I know Nathan and I have a difference of opinion here, but I feel like a lot of those things are things I've seen for years, all the way back to when he was a rookie. And Jeff talked about it a little bit. I think that his, his aging is, is, is impacting that. I mean, even the, this last game, He's thinking he can get away somehow from Chandler Jones unblocked by spinning around like Russ, maybe when you were a rookie, like you're not going to do that anymore. So I, I think relative to being a pro bowl quarterback, you know, I, I think that he had moments this year, but for the most part, he was just an average guy. And if you look at a lot of the grades, he was like one of the, you know, in 15 to 20 range in terms of rankings for quarterbacks. And I think that's who he was this year. So um, that's part of it. But uh, let's skip around a little bit. Um, a couple things, two guys got straight A's. They were the only two guys that got straight A's. Um, one of them was Tyler Lockett and one of them was Quandre Diggs. Um, I don't think there, there's a lot of interesting things to say there uh, other than, you know, I think that means that they not only met expectations but exceeded it quandary is probably the more interesting one of the two um were any of you surprised by his play or like was it better than you thought dana's like hell no i wasn't surprised <laughs> uh but i i'm more asking jeff and nathan because i mean this, this this is who i think quandary Diggs is um was there anything that that was better than what you expected no, actually, both of these guys are kind of hard for me because they both had great years. And so, but like, they were also kind of who I thought they were. They're, they're both very good players. Um, so I was like, I, I, I oscillated between a C or an A. I just gave them A's because they, they had great years. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, just to add to that, it's not much to add. I think he was one of their best, probably most consistent defensive players. But just hearing some of the players talk about him, I think DJ Reed or one of the other corners talks about how comfortable they are back there. 
when he's just leading them. And they lost Jamal Adams, and their safety play was fine. And Quandre played at a high level pretty much all year. And I, I know he does a lot of the deep cover three stuff really well. And you just see him. He's a, He was very consistent this year. He had some missed tackles. But I think overall, just by a full body work, I had to exceed my expectations for sure. Yeah, it's funny. The guy had some of the worst tackles or tackle attempts we've seen. Like, I, I was like so confusing how, like, there was few that just like he, he seemed like he wasn't even going to try. Like, and he's such a high effort, like, team leader guy. It's just odd. But um, yeah, I think, I think Quandre had a great year. Another guy I want to bring up here that we all agreed on, um, but I think is interesting because I don't know if all fans would agree on this grade is Gerald Everett. Um, Gerald Everett had a lot of decent numbers, had some career highs for him, um, but had some just atrocious plays. Some of the worst plays of the season, maybe for any player on any team, like really, really tough games. Um, We all give him a B. That was interesting to me. Um, uh, Nathan, I mean, what were your thoughts on Gerald Everett this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, on the whole, he was really good for them. Um, he's athletic, he can block, um, he, you know, uh, clearly had familiar familiarity with the offense and, um, seemed to have, you know, something of a rapport with Russ, even though there were times where it felt like they should be getting him the ball more, um, so, you know, there, there were some games there where he was, you know, kind of one of the few bright spots, uh and so you know i think <laughs> i think he probably would have gotten an a for me at least but yeah i mean when it went wrong it just went so horribly wrong but some of that's hard to really just completely kill him for like he had the fumble and and that's bad that is fumble and then they recovered it and that's that's bad that's not good they recovered and then all the, they ran it for like a touchdown right and so it's just like yeah you shouldn't fumble the ball that's bad but you know some of it was a little out of his control too so uh, I don't know. When I think about Gerald Everett, I still get warm fuzzies. So I give him a B. <laughs> the chat, folks, is 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 not loving our grade on Gerald Everett. Boo, Everett's trash. Uh, so yeah, I think Dana. I mean, I guess I look at Gerald Everett and I see a player that, man, I still feel like we've just scratched the surface of. <laughs> like I, I think given a, a full season of a functioning offense this guy could put up some really big numbers. And to Nathan's point during some of the lowest points of the year, he was the only thing working. He was catching the ball. He's tough after the catch. He just had some horrible moments. And this last game was no different. I mean, that drop was just, ugh. And I think that might be who he is like, but I think I'd still take it. Um, How about you? Yeah, me too. I I like Gerald Everett. And I think if, if, the thing with him is he's not super flashy. And so I don't think people notice when he's doing things right. They, but when he does something wrong, he does it really brightly in a very important time. So that's what people remember. But I think if people honestly went back and watched those games and watched the way he played it and, and that sort of thing, they, they would understand why we do, you know, appreciate and value him on this team. I think I really hope they bring him back and because he's a free agent next year, I think. Um, and so I really hope that they do, because I think that, he is kind of a vital piece. And once this offense settles in, I think he'll settle in even more. Um, 
Okay. So we're going to talk about a couple more and then we're going to wrap up here because we're, we're obviously going late. Um, uh, so offensive line, uh, obviously something that's really important. Um, but there's one thing in particular, I mean, Dwayne Brown, you know, B's and C's, uh, Brandon shell, we all give him C's and I, I don't think any of us are like pounding the table for, for him. Gabe Jackson, we gave, all of us gave him a C. Um, then you get down to Ethan Posick. There's some C's and D's and B's for Ethan Posick. So I think we got to talk about that a little bit. But before we do, we've got Damian Lewis, who got D's and C's. And we got Phil Haynes, who got B's and A's. And one C from Derek. But we're going to just ignore Derek because he's wrong. So um, what do we make of this Damian Lewis, Phil Haynes thing? Like, for let's just take it for a second. Knowing what we know about Damian Lewis so far, um, and knowing that Phil Haynes got two starts this year, like for what it's worth. Uh, and let's assume that they're not going to move anyone to center. Between the two of those players, and throw Gabe Jackson in if you think that's in the mix. Do you want Phil Haynes starting over either Damian Lewis or, or Gabe Jackson? Jeff, I'm going to start with you on that one. Uh, it's really tricky. It's funny. I gave Phil Haynes an A, and I gave Damian Lewis a D because I thought Damian Lewis was a guy who was going to really take a second-year jump. And I saw some good flashes last year, and his, his pass protecting grade was still super low this year and did not really improve. And he just wasn't really an impact player most of the year. And I know some people think he fits the, the wide zone stuff well, but right now Phil Haynes came in and started two games, and it was two different positions. And he was there. Their offensive line looked great in both those games, and he opened up a lot of those penny touchdowns in the, the Detroit game. Ah. The way he looked, he looks like a guy who should be playing every week. And I don't know. Gabe Jackson's locked in for that. He signed an extension. So I think having the three of them, I think is a great problem to have. Let them battle and see who wins. But the guys are going to get injured. Gabe's getting a little older. But yeah, Phil Haynes looks like he's a guy who should be playing every week because two games he played, he was an impact player. How about you, Nathan? Yeah, I think you go through the whole process of, you know, many uh, camps and everything uh, preseason, he's got to earn it still. Um, but I think you can argue that he was their best guard, um, you know, over it's a two week span, but um, I think he played as well as either of those guys played the entire year. So um, yeah, I think he's right there in line to earn a starting spot. Um, but I think you bring all three back. And like I said, you just go through the process and see who wins it. Yeah, and they they will all be back. Phil Haynes is a restricted free agent, so you know I expect him back. Um, but to to Nathan, to your point, part of the reason I think to me, I'd I'd want Phil Haynes to be one of the starters. You know, going into it, who knows? I agree with. Obviously, you have to go through camp and battle it all out. But and then the others to battle out for the other position is. I felt like what we saw from Phil Haynes in those two games was a level of play that we weren't seeing from the other two guards in the other games. Like, so, and some of those guys were playing in these same games <laughs> with him. So um, I just saw a guy that, and yes, I've been a Phil Haynes fan, so I'm enjoying that part of it. But setting that aside, I saw a guy that should be part of a good offensive line. Like he looked like a very solid player that got me excited I don't see that with Damian Lewis enough um, yet. So I, as much as I'm 
glad he's on the team and I'm fine with having him around. I would be disappointed if the team once again starts the year with Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson at guard. Phil Haynes is sitting on the bench. I think that would be one of those things where we're like, why did they do that again? So that's kind of where I'm at with, with that point. Um, Dana, Ethan Posick, you had him at a D. Uh, Jeff and Nathan had him at a B. I want you guys to duke this out. Tell me, tell me what's, what's the, what's the real grade here and why Dana, you get started. I, I, I can't figure out how the hell they got a B. Like how, how, well, because they graded differently than me. They said expectation and maybe he exceeded their expectation. But if your expectation is crap, a higher level of crap is that B? I don't even know. I, I, I hated our center position all season long. It needs to be changed. We've been beating that drum forever. They need to go out get a center, bring him in, flush the rest. I'm, I'm just over it. I didn't, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like the consistency. It, it got better for the end of the season, like everything else, but it's just not good enough. It's, it's extremely good. Actually, you, you don't have I said good res- enough. no, good I mean, enough. I'm saying it's good. I'm saying it's good. It, it is good. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't have Rashad Penny doing what, what he's doing without that offensive line playing really well. And Postick was literally at the center of it. Um, he, he plays well. He is literally at the center of no, it. No, I thought I was, I was laughing at your joke. I like okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I don't know what laughing. you're rolling your eyes about. He's literally at center. Um, uh, but no, I mean, he played well. He, he is not a mauler. He's not moving guys. Uh, he doesn't get the most credit for it. You have guys like Curran and, and Phil Haynes coming in and playing really well and pushing guys around. But, um, he, he, uh, Posick is doing all of the things that you want a center to do and how he plays around those guys. Um, and so, and yeah, I mean, obviously light years better than, uh, Kyle Fuller. Um, so I, I, I think that there's absolutely uh, a need to bring in competition um, just because it's not something that you've seen um, from him consistently throughout his career. But uh, if you can get that level of play out of him for several more weeks, and I mean, with Haynes, we're talking about two weeks with Posick, we're talking more about four five, six weeks. Um, So, you know, I I think that you can expect him to play well into next year. And I think that, you know, even if you do bring in, uh, you know, some, mid-tier free agent center i think that he'll be expected to win that job from them yeah jeff i, I mean i don't know if you've got much on postic i just uh i see a guy that at its that is best is like maybe slightly above league average center um and that's over the course of a full season can he have games where he's good yeah i, I just think his flaws are unsolvable um, and I give Nathan credit for, we talked about Ethan Posick way early on and I was watching him in training camp and I'm like, well, he looks like he's not that strong. He gets pushed back. Maybe he can develop that. Nathan's like, I don't think people get stronger, you know, Players don't change. Yeah. As, as much as I don't agree with that, that was your point at that point. And so far that's proven true with Ethan, Ethan Posick. He is, he is just not a strong dude. And I don't think that's ever going to change. And I think that we saw that this year, there were some just atrocious games. So for me, he's a C like, I agree with you guys. He played better at the end of the year. If the team builds up everything else around and is great. Is Ethan Posick the worst possibility at center? No, but 
man, you don't have many chances to improve your O-line and, and I want them to improve that position. So for me, anything above C is hard to understand. You had him at a B. Yeah, I think in the context of Ethan Posick, he played as well as he can. So I gave him a B. Uh, I, again, you said this is not predictive grade. I do not particularly care if he comes back next year, but as Nathan said, he played well this year and he really stabilized things at time. He had games where he was grading close to, I think, 90 by PFF. And compare that to Fuller, who was one, probably the worst graded player on the team. That helped a little bit just to just function, stabilize the offense. So again, I, I was pretty annoyed when they signed him in the first place. He's not a guy I'd be very excited about, but again, I graded in the context of expectations where mine were very, very low. I thought he played as well as he could play. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Finish your thought. And that's too much time. I'm posting to tell us. <laughs> well, I, 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 we will always have Kyle Fuller's 0, 0.0 passing pass blocking grade uh, game this year. That was, that will, that will be 2021 in a nutshell. Um, I'm tempted to bring up Rashad Penny because a couple of you had him at a C which I can't, Nathan, you had him at a C. How, how can you, I, I got to at least ask, how do you get Rashad Penny at a C? I don't think we saw anything from him that we haven't seen in the past. Um, what? In terms of ability. Yes, it turned into more yards this time because the offensive line was playing so well and they were opening up some gaping massive holes for him. But uh um, I mean, Rashad Penny is fast. We've known that about Rashad Penny, right? Um, he's, he's fast. He's big. Uh, so, you know, you, you let him go untouched into the, the second level and he's going to give DBs problems. Um, so, yeah, so I just didn't see like what it was that, you know, people are suddenly gaga over. I don't think he's a different guy than he was, you know, a couple of years ago when they were using him tosses constantly and he almost averaged, you have, what, five or six yards of carry. Yeah, um, but, but Quandre Diggs wasn't a different guy and, and he played, had a good season. And, and so you gave him an A. Relative to expectations, you really think, well, I mean, it doesn't matter that much, but like, it, it just, it's, it's, it's surprising to me. I, I guess the, the thing that makes the most sense to me is that you're giving maybe higher percentage of, of credit to the offensive line for what happened than, than Penny. Um, so maybe that, that's, that's sample size. It was, it's good for a little, Penny was good for five weeks, right? She did in five weeks, what people don't do in seasons. Like yeah, I, I, I think, think the sample size to... thing is really hard to, to throw out there when he's doing things that have almost never been done before in the history of the league. Like, I know what you mean. Like, did it for five games. I think that has to be part of the grade. Of course, of course. Or else, um, if it's if that sample size doesn't matter, it's getting an A plus from all of us. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Nathan, based on yeah, that, what we just heard, would you giving him an A. Yeah, fair. I would have given um, him an A plus. Yeah. Sample doesn't really have a ton to do with it for me. I mean, um, I don't know. Like I said, I went back and forth on Quandre and and Tyler. Um, Tyler, for sure, I think, you know, he had his best uh, year in terms of yards, I think, right? So I think the the A is pretty fair there. But, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to say that Quandre Diggs just was who he was, then I, I wouldn't argue with that too much, actually. <laughs> People in the chat, Ethan Chamberlain says Nathan just hates running backs. Um, so, uh, but, but I understand. I mean, yeah. 
I understand. I, I have a better understanding of your reasoning, even if it's not, not something that makes, uh, makes sense in my brain, but I understand where you're coming from. So um, I think Dana wants to yell at me. Do you want to? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so I, we have other grades and we can share those. Uh, I can post them online or something, you know, it'd be probably interesting to talk about Jamal Adams a little bit, you know, obviously Jason Myers was awful. Um, Carlos Dunlap's kind of an interesting conversation, but um, given the time, uh, let's just close by talking a little bit about the news that came out today around Pete and John. Mike Silver tweeted that uh, expect news um, to be clarified, hopefully as soon as today. Um, we then heard from Bob Condotta of the Seattle Times that the meeting with Jody Allen is actually happening tomorrow. Um, and then there was also a report that, um, who was that? Was Jeremy Fowler? Um, I think he's of ESPN, if I remember right. Uh, saying that Pete's not ready to retire. They don't expect maybe changes in who's on the team, uh, you know, who's part of the organization, but there might be some conversation about who's responsible for personnel and changes there in terms of, uh, who's in charge and whether Pete would give that up to John um, as part of that starting to transition um, to where Pete will eventually retire. So those all happened today. For Pete's, for Pete's uh, piece on this, he said after the game and then even on Monday, I'm in great shape. And if anybody, like, it's amazing to me how much the press kind of just bought that. They asked in different ways, but they put, kind of just bought that. But anyone that's listened to Pete, Pete knows that that can mean multiple things and smiles when he says it, and then even talked about, he said in one of the press conferences, I just say that because it gets me to the next question. He said that. <laughs> so um, he, I swear to God, he could be talking about his physical fitness. Swear to God. Um, that would not surprise me, and I don't think he'd lose a single second of sleep thinking that anyone felt misled. So, all right, I, I will just start off by saying, I do think, and I tweeted this yesterday before all this Mike Silver stuff even came out, I, or maybe it was this morning, but in any event, before the, the tweets, I do think that there's one potential outcome here where Pete is not with the organization, and it's that Jody and Burt Cold or whoever say, hey, based on our evaluation and the people we've talked to, we think the personnel needs, needs to be done differently. And Pete, we need you to relinquish control of that and to Bailey focus on coaching. Pete came to Seattle with one of the, the number one thing he said that was gonna be different this time than the last time he was in NFL was that he was gonna have say over personnel. He could choose to say, no, I'm not gonna give that up. And they mutually decide to part ways. So that's the, I think that still is a possibility. And that would be, it doesn't mean that they wanna fire him but that might be a hard line for, for ownership and it might be a hard line for Pete and they can't come to agreement. So I think that's the, the setting. Jeff, you know, I think you've had some conversations with folks around the league. Um, yeah. What's your point of view? So I think the first thing is anyone who's making a guess or an idea that Pete is safe, I think they're guessing. I think they're reading tea leaves. I know Fowler even said there are some in league circles who assume he's safe. I think what we've learned just from the last few days is that no one really has a direct line in the media to Jody Allen or Bold, or they're just purposely keeping private. 
And even Ian Rapport went on Pat McAfee and went on Rich Eisen and said, I have no idea what they're going to do. And for him, that's super rare. He, he's got the number one tie to every team. He works for the league. So I think, I think this meeting tomorrow that Bob reported tomorrow is really, really important. I think we're going to get clarity on what happens. And I think things could go many ways. We don't know what Jody's thinking and no one in the league does. There's no one who knows. So anyone who's reporting anything on Pete is guessing. Number two, the biggest thing that came out with that Fowler story, I had a different read than some of the people in the chat. And a lot of people focused on that Pete thing. And I think Brian made the point that personnel could change. I think the last sentence in there, and it was kind of hidden. I think that to me jumped off the page where apparently a lot of people, and Brian, you've mentioned this before, which is interesting, that personnel people on the team have felt hamstrung by the coaches. And Brian, you've mentioned that they've deferred to coaches too many times in the past. So I think if Fowler doesn't have a direct line to Jody Allen, and I don't think he does, I think that's coming from someone. And I think that's coming from either John or someone in his personnel department, maybe not John. Someone's leaking that, that they want personnel control. And Pete, we know from Brian's point, Pete had a really rough go of that in New England where people were like backdooring him to Robert Kraft and he had a really dysfunctional environment. So I think if that story is coming out, someone from that front office wants them to take personnel control. And I think Nathan sort of alluded to some unrest possibly between Pete and John. So I found that really interesting coming into that meeting. Nathan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't think that's crazy to think that there could be a, a, a battle here between John or the personnel department um, and Pete. Um, I think that's a little, you know, when, when I was talking about that on the postgame show, you know, we were talking about the early report that it seemed like John and Russ were safe and that Pete might be out. And that to me, definitely, I mean, at least John has to be on board with that. If that, if that happens, um, you know, if, if John is angling to, to steal the, the personnel control from Pete, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a monkey paw situation where, you know, if it doesn't get better and you went and took personnel, uh, control, well, you're kind of next on the chopping block. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if that's as much of an issue here, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Is, is there anything, is there anything interesting that no coaches have been hired yet? Cause no one's been hired, right? Right. Quinn's still waiting. No one's been hired. Is that where, where are we usually on a timeline here? It seems fast to have hired a coach by now, right? Yeah. It's only been three days. It yeah. can happen, but I think usually we start seeing it the week after the wildcard weekend when some of those decisions start getting made yeah okay so i don't know so you know I, I don't know if there's like a domino thing here where maybe some people are are looking at the seahawks to see what happened before you know taking jobs elsewhere but um it seems like it's a total black box right now and i think the likeliest thing is everybody comes back but i, I there's not many scenarios that i've heard that sound completely outlandish to me yeah dana i mean if if the news does break tomorrow that pete and and the Seahawks are parting ways. How how would that feel? Like, what would your reaction be to that? Uh, well, I think I said before when we were talking about this that it would be heartbreaking to me. But it would be heartbreaking to me for a couple of different reasons. Uh, I the word Pete Carroll it has been fired is not coming out of anyone's mouth. I'm just letting you guys. I mean, there, it's just that's not going to happen. It will be they parted ways. He decided to retire because and it, that so you're not going to get that headline now someone's going to try and put it out there but that's just not what's going to happen if Pete Carroll ends up not being the head coach of Seattle 
it will be due to his decision, whether that be your scenario of him not wanting to relinquish, uh, you know, control over player personnel, or it, it will be because he's decided for one reason that this is no longer where he wants to be. Um, I, I know that we were disagreeing a bit and I know I have this reputation of being a Pollyanna, but at the same time, there was certain things to me in that, in the news that came out today, that was, it seemed to me logical. And that's why I said, it is logical to me for a coach who's going to be retiring in one to two years. He said he wasn't retiring this year. We all know he's not going to make it more than two to three years in the league. He, he's not going to have an 80 year old Pete Carroll on the sideline. Okay. This is not going to happen. But no, well, I also never said Brady would play this long either. So who knows? But so I think that that is important that to me, it's a logical step to hand some of that off as you are working your way out the door. But at the same time, you're right. There's a lot of pride in that. It's something that you're absolutely right that he struggled with in other teams. And so I can see him wanting to hold on to that. But I just really, truly would be surprised if Pete Carroll, unless it was utterly his decision, is not the coach of the Seahawks. I could see other shifts before that. Although the stuff coming out of Russ seems to be roll Seahawks positive too. So I don't even know. Uh, I, I don't know. It's weird. But it, to me, it would be heartbreaking to me because I would, it's, it is truly then the end of this era. And Pete Carroll has so much to do with the success of what we have been living in the joy of for the last 10 years. Um, and so that would be sad to me. Yeah, man, I, I'm so on the fence on this one. I didn't expect to be, but like all year I've been looking pretty much ready for them to make a change and I've talked about that. And uh, I just really liked the direction we started to see emerge from the team. Um, and it feels like now that changing that out puts a lot more into question and that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. So I think my reaction would be similar to yours, Dana. I think it would be disappointment if we find out tomorrow that, that Pete's gone, um, that puts my faith into ownership, making good choices about who they hire and that they're going to bring in someone good. And I don't know. I think I have more faith in what I've seen from some of the play the last few weeks than I do in them finding another great coach. So that's, that's, I think kind of where, where I would end up um, if that news comes out, Jeff, Nathan, I mean, Jeff, I know you're, you're like probably have your fingers crossed. I wouldn't go that far. I'd be, I wouldn't be like devastated. I think that's probably Evan, but I think just, I said it before, that's the number one thing that like would get me fired up going into the off season would just be seeing a, I'm going through like the coaching names to see who they bring in, to see who they hire, to see the new staff come together, to see like a new direction in terms of personnel. I think that would really be a shot in the arm for me because I know the last two games are exciting, but like we're three weeks away where they just like had a, awful game against the the bears where we were just like this franchise is done so i don't want to put too much in the last two games and if they came back and they rolled it back with pete and assuming russell's back i'm okay with that i'm not going to be devastated but i think at this point i'm just ready to see fresh new personnel ideas and get excited about the team again and see what they do in the offseason that's my favorite i love the offseason so if we have all these new names coming in that would be exciting for me all right nathan you get Last word on this one. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I, 
I pretty much am 100% agreement with Dana on this. That like, I, I at this point, I would be very surprised for them to just fire him. Um, I think that it's it's possible that they, you know, they they make an ultimatum with personnel. It's possible that they make an ultimatum with Ken Norton Jr. And maybe that's a line that he won't cross, right? Um, for various reasons. Um, so there's ways that he could leave. Um, but you know, I, this ownership is still a wild card. Um, for all we know, they could be super crappy owners that uh, that just want to make a change and run their team and do something. And um, and the other thing is too, I think in terms of like the options available to this team, if they do need to look for another coach, it's a good year. Um, you know, mm-hmm. some of your worst case scenarios here, it's like Mike Zimmer, um, which would not be a guy that would make me super excited, but I also wouldn't be super scared. Right. I mean, talking about the, you know, the, the double-edged sword of trying to improve on Pete and how you're probably going to get a worse coach. Well, Mike Zimmer's probably not much of a downgrade. Um, you know, Brian Flores is out there. Um, and, and these aren't the sexiest names, uh, necessarily, uh, you know, Doug Peterson is out there. Um, and that's before you get into like, you know, the hot shot offensive coordinators like Mike McDaniels, who everyone's just drooling over these days. So uh, there are options available. I think that uh, as risky, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big Pete critic, I, but you can't deny that there's a big risk in moving on from him. And I think they have a lot of options at their fingertips this year. Mm. No, I think that's, I think that's well said. And uh, I, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, Brian Flores, I just got so much respect for what that guy's done. I was shocked when that news came down. And it's just a reminder that, to your point, Nathan, you can have bad ownership, making bad decisions, you know, Snyder and Washington. Like, it's not it's not hard to look around the league and see just crap franchises and you can trace it back to the ownership. So we are going to learn a little bit about the ownership. We've talked about that. It's in their hands now. Um, whatever happens from here on out is – on them because this is our this is an opening um so (laughs) we had so much more to talk about we're going to talk about free agents we're going to you know who we're going to bring back because we're just we we we're like dying like there's so much of stuff we want to talk about the good news is we have the whole off season so uh we will talk more about free agency next week we already have the list of seahawks free agents and which of them we would keep and which of them we expect the seahawks to actually keep we'll talk to you about that next time um we will probably also start getting into our top free agent targets for the seahawks both positions you know of of note and and others and start looking at that um but first tomorrow night we will have stacy ross join evan and i assuming evan is feeling up for it uh health wise but uh yeah we're we're looking forward to tomorrow night's conversation uh, stacy's great if you haven't heard her before smart funny and uh, a great insider on all things seahawks um, and seattle sports so looking forward to that conversation lucky to have her uh so please drop in tomorrow night that will be at 7 p.m pacific time uh the event's already in youtube so you can find it there and please uh click like on the show we appreciate that it helps people find out about it give a rating on spotify apple play wherever you find our podcast and then uh go over to patreon.com slash sign up uh be part of this off-season conversation because there's gonna be a lot of it and we'd love to have you join and we didn't get to do patreon questions this week um, we will incorporate those, I promise, as soon as we can. Um, and maybe even tomorrow night, I'll see if we can do some Patreon questions with Stacy. 
until then, I just want to thank Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, and Dana O'Gorman for flying all the way back to the mainland just to be part of this show uh, at Dana OG on Twitter. It was wonderful to have you back and uh, see your smiling tan face. So uh, very jealous of that as we are all very white, like white, white, uh, pale. So uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. It's going to be an amazing off season one way or another. And we're going to find out more pretty soon. There will be an emergency pod. You can be sure if news breaks tomorrow that we need to talk about. So until then, take care, have a good rest of your night and